Hello and welcome to the Geeks Codex podcast. We're doing the Daddy Issues cast this week. So prepare yourselves, it's gonna get weird. I am your host, as always, Matthew Briggs. I am joined perpetually by editor extraordinaire Paul Stevens. Get in the... <laughs> what? <laughs> what was that? You're not saying it aggressively enough. That's yeah. why he's not getting in. Get, get in the... <laughs> okay. You'll understand what that means shortly, or if you've read the episode title <laughs> description. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by the ever-effervescent James Cook. Just remember, Briggy, you did bring this on yourself. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and probably wishing that she wasn't here right now, <laughs> Ashley Pearson. My mech is primed and ready. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Reggie. So here we are on this episode, and I think we're all mentally preparing as the introduction goes on for what is going to be um, pretty fucking weird. Uh, as you've probably seen from the episode description, or if you went in blind, oh, look at you, oh. we're going to discuss Neon Genesis Evangelion this week. Or as I said, Daddy Issues, the anime. Mm-hmm. So to kick us off, I've got a few notes, and I'm going to go from least argumentative to most argumentative <laughs> because I know what James is like, and I know what's coming next. So I'm going to start with so, the one that no well, one can argue just about. Just to prime everybody, Briggy <laughs> has a few lines of notes, and then he's going to let me run wild. I have like two pages of notes. They're small pages, and I never, but I never bring notes. They're not A4. Well, that's true. You never bring notes. That's the thing. The fact that I have brought notes should worry everybody. <laughs> Warning: spoilers. <laughs> It came out a long time ago. I'm not dropping a warning for spoilers in this episode because this anime came out in 1995. Yeah. So the moratorium on spoilers is definitely over. But but for people who have not yet seen any What we will be spoiling, spoiler warning, is spoiling the Netflix-specific adaptation of the dub, which is different, but not different enough that I think it's that big of a spoiler, although I do have one particular point to do with that, and we'll see what James says about it in a bit. Mm -hmm. Anyway... So, with that said, we're going to go right ahead and start spoiling this mecha anime that is not actually a mecha anime, and we'll get to reasons why. Yeah. Okay, first point that I've got, which I remembered from when I was recording the last episode and I had to note it down, was um, the ending song has changed. Yes. They yes. couldn't, they, they, I don't know if they couldn't afford it, or they just didn't care, but it doesn't end with Fly Me to the Moon anymore, and that makes me sad. I bet that it's a money thing. I mean, I know in the last episode we were talking about, like, and Fly Me to the Moon, I bet you it's an expensive song. It's also one of the best covers of that song. Yeah. And I'm sad. I was sad to see that it... Because I love that song generally, and I had heard the Evangelion version before, and, like, it's a nice cover. And, like, there's like there's this thing where, you know, in uh, Japan, they have, like, um, like the voice actors do, like... Um, what are they called? The image songs yeah. where they're released. And, like, they had all of the voice actors do their own versions in character. Like, I'm, I'm sad it's gone. Okay, so, speaking of the music in the show... Uh, we'll watch it on Netflix, because that's the point. It's the Netflix having released Evangelion, because that's a thing they're doing now, paying to keep friends on Netflix and also giving us anime that we've already seen years ago and redubbing it. Um, how many of you skipped the intro on any given episode of Evangelion? So I... Mm-hmm. Just a yes or a no, did you skip it? Did you ever <laughs> skip the intro? What it is, I watched a lot of it at work and I wasn't supposed to be watching things. So I did it because it's really loud and I didn't want anyone to hear the music coming out my head. Did anybody else skip the intro? But- Briggy, Briggy, 
I skipped all of them. <gasps> oh no! Did you skip the intro? Well, I was watching it twice. I, I've I've watched the dub of the original and the new so one. So he did. I know, but did you skip the intro? He did. He definitely did. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was but, so none of you are aware that back in the the late nineties, early two thousands, it became an official war crime to skip Cruel Angel <laughs> Thesis. <laughs> Briggy, I, I atoned for my crimes. You know what I did? I was walking home from work and I was putting it on loop every day. <laughs> It's on Spotify. The director's cut version is on Spotify. I'm so happy. Maybe you'll get away with it then. The yeah. Evangelion police won't come and I, get you. I did skip it, but I listened to the extended director's cut version. I think I checked on Spotify. It was like a hundred times in the last week. You two are screwed. I assume that the Evangelion police will be knocking on the door any second and taking you away now for oh, skipping through Angel Theatre. I was sad wait, wait, every wait, wait, time wait. I hit skip intro. It's so good. Is it the is it the Netflix dub police or is it the original dub police? Oh, it's the original. Uh, not, not even the dub police because it's not dubbed it's the original song yeah, every time that's what I mean though is it, it's just Jim, it's just the Evangelion police yeah. then, it's yeah. the one thing they all agree on <laughs> it's uh, the unifying concept behind Evangelion such... is that not a single person can argue that Cruel Angel Thesis is one of the most it, banger anime intros of the 90s sla- it slaps so fucking hard have you ever seen the um, the gospel choir that did a cover of it mm. that is fucking phenomenal I've, I've listened to every metal cover that exists on YouTube oh, there's a gospel choir version in the original Japanese and it is so good so that was the least argumentative things because I knew that we'd all agree on those things oh, off Cruel the Angel's thesis so good moving on uh, before I get to the most argumentative thing I've got three lines that all tie into one of them and I'll just read them as they are there are no giant robots the robots were a lie <laughs> zero out of ten would not watch again <laughs> See, what- I was duped I did know, like, I knew a lot, and I mean a lot, about Evangelion going in, even though I'd never actually watched it. Um, but, like, I did know that they were, like, bio-organic, a mecha-organic, whatever you want to say. But I wasn't really aware that they're basically just, like, giant flesh monsters that they kind of screwed armor plating on and that they're not robots at all. Yeah. Because they're, like, not robots at all. And I was like, oh, Okay, that did confuse me a bit for a few episodes after they kind of got into just how much they're not robots. That's why sync rate is important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. because if it was a Gundam, it wouldn't give a shit. Because that's a robot. It's a robot. <laughs> well, you say that. Some robots care more than other robots. Yeah, I mean, you of... saw Pacific Rim, right? Yeah. I was thinking Wally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Syncret- now I'm imagining a crossover between Eva and Wally, and it's not happy. It's not my happy place. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we will definitely get more into the oh, there are no giant robots with yes. James I'm very well sure. So we're going to go to my last point, which I know has already caused arguments outside of the podcast. Oh, on here we go. And I'm going to put forward my argument right now and start off by saying Gendo is best dad. No. No. Gendo is best dad. No. He's not best dad, but he's not worst dad in the original. In the new one, he's worse. Than Outside it. of the Ghibli movies, which Ashley pointed me to the other day by uh, when having this tiny argument, he is the best dad in anime. No, he's not. Every other dad in anime is either an absentee. He's literally or shit. an absentee. No, he's not. What he does is he gives his only son a giant robot, which he lied about. He abandons his son, age four. It's the best thing for him. No, it's not. He grows up horrifically traumatized. Maybe if he wasn't such a pussy. He was four. (laughs) He watched his mother die. (laughs) I take your argument and I raise you Goku. 
Goku is the is, is the worst father in anime. Okay. He's the best worst no, father. No, if, if if not Gendo, then Piccolo is the best father in anime. Yeah, Piccolo does more for Gohan than Goku if ever has If you are done. going to say stand there and say that Gendo is on the same level as Piccolo, I'm just leaving this part. We've reached it. We've reached the level of mistakes that I am not willing to or, make. If Piccolo could give Gohan a giant robot and in choice of many women to live with and hang out with, and then also all the possible things he could ever want without, you know, being a bitch about it. And he would to have To be done- clear, there's a 10-year gap between get like Shinji being abandoned and living with a random teacher who's never there that he doesn't like and constantly stewing in his own trauma after watching his mother die at an incredibly young age. And Gendo being like... I guess you can go in the robot. She didn't die, though. Yeah. She I mean... Was, she was absorbed. She... what? Shinji was four. He did not know that. And that's still traumatic. Awesome. <laughs> also, the robot that he gives him, one, isn't even a fucking robot. Like, what the fuck? And two, is like the cannibalistic spirit of his dead mother. And Gendo didn't even fucking tell no, him. No, it's like he's gone back into the womb again. Like, it's a psychoanalytic oh. nightmare, is what it is. The, I like the fact that you did that as, like, a revelationary thing, <laughs> rather than just, yeah, this show is that stupid. Um, I'd also counter, in terms of best dads, um, dad from... Um, you don't need to... This is not something no, that needs no, to be debated. No, <laughs> um, argument, He abuses sir. his son for, like, 14 years. Um, He's toughening up for the apocalypse. Um, Dad from the oh, what's the driving anime called? Initial D. Initial D, because he spends his time tweaking a car while his son, son's sleeping off, so he's ready for the next race. And also, um, Doctor Wiley. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, not Doctor Wiley. Doctor Wiley. No, <laughs> Doctor Wiley brainwashes robots. <laughs> Doctor Light is actually a good father, but he's not really a father because it's a robot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like Shinji. <laughs> but like, listen. Sort of like Ray? <laughs> listen to me, okay? Here is what Gendo Ikari does with regards to his son, Shinji. So he has a kid with his wife, Yui, and then at four years old, his wife is absorbed into the Ava in front of his four-year-old son, and his son is like, oh my god, I'm horrifically fucking traumatized from watching what I think is my mother dying right in front of me. Gendo then goes, well, now she's gone, I don't need a fucking kid, and literally just abandons him for ten fucking years. Then... After his kid has had time to really stew in the PTSD of, like, the after effect of immediately losing both parents in separate but equally traumatic ways, he comes back and he's like, right, so what you're going to do is, you're a child, and I'm going to put you in this fucking fleshy robot monstrosity, and then you might die... But you definitely have to go and shoot Eldritch Abominations that will, like, psychologically torture you. And then when Shinji's like, I'm 14 and terrified and have untreated PTSD and I'm very scared, he's like, oh, go away then. That's not Dad of the Year material. Amuro Ray wasn't this much of a bitch. And he saw, he ended the war. (laughs) On the other hand, he also didn't have to deal with Gendo fucking Ikari. Tem Ray was worse. I mean, okay, but he, mm. but I mean, we can all agree that's not a good way to raise it. That's not a way you're not raising a child. He basically just and he basically was like, "Shit, my wife's gone." Okay, you take this child. I'm gonna go over there and I'm just gonna like gently caress her creepy eldritch like robot form now. You know what Shinji needed? 
A bitch lap. No, he needed therapy because he saw his mother die when he was four. Amro Ray, greatest mecha protagonist of all time, is a whiny bitch for 13 episodes until Captain Bright smacks him in the face and then he gets his shit together and ends a goddamn war. Briggy, the thing is, Gundam is not a psychologically accurate portrayal of what it's like to be a 14-year-old with untreated PTSD, whereas, like, the entire point of Evangelion is that that is literally what it is. You give a 14-year-old PTSD for 10 years... They don't, They aren't whiny, they're traumatised. Evangelion is literally about mental illness. That's the entire thing with Anno. <laughs> My point is that you've not watched Gundam, which is this is a huge send-up to. I know it is, but it's yeah. like, to be very clear, like Anno was basically writing this about like his own fucking terrible mental state at the time, but in like a concentrated form, in the sort of form of like a 14-year-old boy with PTSD... A 14-year-old with PTSD is going to quote-unquote whine if you tell them to get in the fucking robot. Because a 14-year-old with PTSD is not going to get in a robot. They're going to break down and need fucking therapy. I was a 14-year-old boy. I would have got in the robot. You didn't have PTSD. (laughs) You don't have an argument to that. The reason that Shinji acts the way that he does is that he very clearly and textually and explicitly has horrific PTSD that nobody ever went... Maybe we should send the kid who saw his like mother dies at age four to a fucking therapist. Um, that, we are already off to a rowdy start today, folks. This is going to be the whole podcast. In, in terms of like growing up with PTSD and mothers dying and everything else, I'd like to bring up um, Jojo in terms of ways to react badly to having parents raise you awfully is to have the um, son of the man who was robbing your dead mother's corpse uh, who then incidentally happened to rescue your father having him adopt the son of that man that, who then fights you for the rest of his t- that period that sounds like jojo yeah dio brando did nothing wrong <laughs> <laughs> that's because dio brando is um what's the word an, an immortal who is outside the the, the judgment <laughs> of mere humans but at the same time he did happen to have a go at speedwagon which means he did do something wrong. <laughs> Speedwagon was asking for it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Controversial opinions for Jojo watchers. Now. I know. The only thing I know about Jojo is that all of the men know how to dress. I can't believe... Especially Dio. <laughs> he doesn't have that charming bowler hat, though. <laughs> That's true. Speedwagon does have him on the bowler hat. Yeah. Anyway, so- <laughs> now that we have thoroughly debunked... Because to be clear, the last argument that I made about PTSD, you didn't have a fucking answer for. So now that we've thoroughly debunked the whole Gendo is that of the year nonsense... It's fine. The internet has known that I am correct since 1995. I'm just spouting the- off what is true. So <laughs> Let's move on to other Evan- things. Evangelion as a whole is... This could be the cold open. Is, is definitely a... this. A huge amount of elements in it that's a huge pastiche of the mecha genre mm-hmm. in the years prior. Like mecha, at least real robot, which is more of what Evangelion leans towards than the super robot. I mean, it's got in, elements of both in the same way that Tengen Topper Girl and Lagan used in ideas from both. In the weirdest way possible. Like, it, I, when I realized yeah, yeah. that it's kind of more real robot than super robot, like, my brain exploded. Oh, yeah, because they're organic. It's strange. There's the, you know, there's the plug that they put them into. Like, yeah. Everything's got then, a scientific basis around well, it, even if it is scientific bullshit. I think. Compared it, to the real robot, which is more like just suspending disbelief for any given if, science. If somebody were to say to me, oh, it's definitely not real robot, I'd be like, 
if it has to stay plugged into the wall, it's real robot. Yeah. Like, the, the idea behind like them is still that it's, it, there's, there's a scientific <laughs> basis behind it, whereas a lot of the super robot stuff just, just goes, well, like, hey, they, this is insane. Just, just, just like, go with it. Don't question it. Even with the which, organic stuff, like they talk about the hayfleck. Yeah. It? Like, for example, like, and I was like, oh, that's like actually kind of real biology. Yeah. So, um, Evangelion itself pulls from as much as it can in in many places from all of the real robot genre that sort of came before it. Most notably, there's a whole lot of Gundam in there. Yeah. So a lot of the basis around it, like outside of Anno and his own particular like mental states and what he's writing into it, yeah. a lot of it can be seen as in the same way that Gurren Lagann became a much more modern pastiche of the real robot genre mm-hmm. and, and sort of turned that on its head is what was done in Evangelion, which is why I keep making the joke that, Gen- that Gendo is best dad because when you look at real robot shows before this came out is that every single one of them involves a father worse than Gendo. Regardless of what you think about Gendo overall and what he's that's, done and where he's coming that's from, fair. he's nowhere near as bad as people like Tenray and stuff like that. But there's always reasons behind that. And so you look at this and the major difference that you see right off the bat compared to... I mean, for instance, you've seen the very first episode of, of, yes. of Mobile Suit Gundam. Yes. The original it, and I enjoyed it very much. And that is you know, very much like the horrors of war happening right around yeah. Amuro Ray. Shit going wrong. He's watching people die in front of his face. His dad dies in front of his yeah. face. It's all gone wrong. And the dude immediately jumps into the cockpit of the Gundam and begins piloting it to like save what he can out of the colony and goes full hero mode straight away. Whereas Shinji becomes the exact antithesis of, of well, Amuro this in is... that very first episode, that very first moment. So that kicks you off to Evangelion. They're like, this is real robot, but here's... Here's just the, the straight up like hint from the very beginning that this is going to be the opposite of what you're this used to is, from this genre. This is the thing with regards to, because one thing that really does annoy me is when people say, oh, well, Evangelion is like a deconstruction of mecha anime because it's really depressing. And I'm like, mecha anime has been really serious and psychologically depressing for a very long time. Like Gundam is about how war is hell. And it has been about how war is hell from the first episode of the first Gundam series. The Gundam series that is not about war being hell is the exception. And that's true for a lot of them. And one thing that I do think is really notable, though, in terms of how it kind of differs from a lot of that kind of stuff, is that in the broad strokes, in terms of thinking about war as a general thing... Gundam looks at the idea that war is hell, and so Evangeline isn't subversive in that sense. But in terms of the individual internal psychology of its characters, and especially its young teenage soldier characters, in order to make it entertaining, it has to not be entirely realistic. They jump in the robot and go save the day, even though they're ridiculously young and have no training, and, and it would definitely traumatize them and they'd probably die. And if in you... Evangelion, Shinji when asked unexpectedly as a child, like I'm not even going to say like as a 14, as a child, to go out there and fight an unbelievable eldritch abomination, locks up and starts screaming and crying. And that is uncomfortably and unpleasantly psychologically realistic. You want to be like, stop being whiny, but you're also like, if somebody had done that to me, even if I wasn't like a traumatized 14 year old, if somebody had just done that to me as a kid, I would have just fucking fainted. Hell, I, don't, I, don't I would wanna, have done it as an adult. Yeah. I, I don't, don't, don't want to interrupt your train of thought because I want you to keep going on that. But yeah. um, on top of what you're saying, as a sort of an addition to that, if you are listening to this episode and you've seen Evangelion and you like the themes in it, or if you've not seen Evangelion and like listening to us talk about like these themes that are quite more like heavy hitting than what we usually do in terms of like watching yeah. mecha stuff, some of the other required watching within the Gundam universe I would recommend would be the classic um, Gundam War in the Pocket, which deals with... Again, a child much younger than 14 mm-hmm. who has nothing 
but a want to pilot a mech mm-hmm. and fight in the war until he discovers how bad war is. Yeah. So that's classic itself, but also the more recent and really quite great, if only all the characters are awful and no one likes anybody in that show, is Gundam Thunderbolt, which deals a lot more with the PTSD from more seasoned pilots and how an ongoing war affects them. Yeah. And like, this is, there's a lot of people like uh, like amputees and stuff in that show that deal with yeah, and still going into battle even though they're like the missing pieces of themselves what? like that. So that, those, the, the emotional spectrum uh, to do with like war and these horrific events gets covered a lot in the real robot genre. Like Gundam oh. has these but then Evangelion comes along and like you were saying it's 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 a different kettle of fish. It is. One thing that I would also say is, um, if if you're sort of somebody who, because Evangelion is so iconic and so much like the anime of the 90s, if you're kind of like, oh, well, this is the subversive one, this is the one that turned the robot genre on its head, etc., I would very much encourage you to go out there and seek other stuff, and especially stuff that came before Evangelion that isn't considered like, quote-unquote, deconstructions. I, I would very much... I would push against the idea that Evangelion is a deconstruction oh, yeah. of a... Like, it's it's a natural evolution. The it only, the only the, deconstruction of Evangelion is the fact that they're not robots. Right, like... Everything I, in the show has been it done is, before. It is taking... Evangelion is less deconstruction and more it takes it to a particular kind of natural extreme. I think that there is this misconception that it is some kind of subversion of the genre. And, and while there are things about it that are subversive in general, like the intense psychological realism of its child characters, to the point where it becomes not entertaining, like, that is fairly unusual. It's... I, I wouldn't say deconstructive but unusual but like i i would definitely say at the outset of this episode like we're not gonna sit here and be like and especially briggy isn't gonna sit here and be like oh yeah evangelion is like so, so different to every other mech like no it's fucking not like gundam is literally just like robots are cool but war is definitely hell like i mean i think one of the um one of the characters that runs opposite to shinji in evangelion would be uh, Sosuke Sagara of Full Metal Panic, who is mm. literally the embodiment of a child soldier pilot in a mech with just an unbelievable amount of cool and and, and, and just aptitude. Yeah, which is like that whole like oh child soldier in an anime. Clearly they're you know cool and you know don't say a lot and mysterious and kick a lot of ass. And then you're like oh but there's a horrible stuck backstory behind him. Shinji is the opposite. He's got a right. horrible backstory. He can't do shit. He's like one of the only well, anime protagonists that just seems to be completely useless. One of the even things, though he's the linchpin to saving literal humanity. You know what I really, really loved, and that I didn't know was coming, even though I I did go into Evangelion knowing like a lot of the plot plot outline. I'd read detailed like summaries and things like years ago when I couldn't get it on torrents with decent subs. Um, so I just used to read like the Wikipedia articles and stuff. But what's the original dub? I will do. Yeah, I will expensive. go back and I will go back and I will watch it. Um, but um, one thing that I didn't expect is I watched the first four episodes all in one go. I can't remember if it's the first or second episode, but you know his first fight mm. where he just immediately no two two. It's two. the beginning of episode two because <laughs> yeah, because as every other real robot anime shows you, you can't get in the robot in episode one yeah. at least until yeah. just for the credits, and then you get the robot moment in episode two, which is why no one wants to watch the first episode of a real robot until the week after yeah. when episode two is actually can you can actually do them see both a robot. Yeah, but no. So um, in episode two, like Shinji um, eventually goes through like this dramatic thing where it's like he has the refusal of the call. And then he's like, okay, I'll do it because he sees um, that the other teenager, who we later find out is Ray, who is one of the other teenage pilots, and we'll get into Ray. Who's technically his sister. Oh, God, don't even yeah. get, we'll get into that. Um, he has many sisters. Oh, God. But um, so, so after having like a spectacularly acted breakdown about 
um, being forced to get in the fucking robot, Shinji. He agrees to go into it and that you expect it to kind of be this dramatic thing where he goes up and maybe he initially gets kicked around and then he eventually sort of gets on with it. And that kind of is what it's revealed to have been later. But in the moment, what happens is he gets fucking headshotted and then it cuts to him in a hospital bed. Immediately, it's like... Okay, so he's special because he can synchronize with the robot even though he has no training. And he's special because he can do so and nobody else can. That doesn't mean he knows anything about what he's doing. They're like, okay, this 14-year-old is special and like chosen and therefore we have to send them up. And you expect it to be kind of like he's going to get kicked around, but he's going to beat it. And then he gets headshotted. And because everything in Eva has to be deeply unsettling, there's like blood spray. And, like, it's very uncomfortable to watch. And then it, one thing I actually... This is where we start doing the thing where you don't care about it, but I care about it, um, where we talk about, like, the animation. So the one thing I will say, I actually have... Looking. I have really mixed feelings on Evangelion as, like, a whole series. <laughs> but I don't have mixed feelings on the fact that it is gorgeous. And not in terms of, like, they had a huge budget or, like, they had, like incredible quality animation but like the shot composition and like the editing evangelion consistently does this thing where it does incredibly abrupt editing in a way that's really effective so you get the headshot and like the loud noise where it sort of represents the blood spraying when um the eva the shinji is piloting gets shot in the head and then it just cuts to like a very washed out scene in a hospital bed and dead silence and it was like, that was the moment where I was like, okay, even, whether I like this series or not, I know I'm going to enjoy looking at it. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think for me, again, as a, as a real robot fan who watches a lot of mecha anime and loves robots in general, Ava Unit 1 has got one of the coolest looking designs in oh, mecha. yes. That is one of also the most underutilized and wasted designs in mecha. It the coolest moments that happen to it are a few fight scenes throughout the series and the final moments of the end of Evangelion when it's got the wings and shit. That's See? really cool. But overall, if you wanted to, like, and that's probably one of the things that, like, they don't care about in this particular series because I know what, like, Anno's like when it comes to writing yeah. and stuff. But, like, mecha shows live and die on merchandising when it comes to, like, gunpla and stuff. And you can't really sell Unit 1 or even Unit 3. Um, is it Unit 2 Oscars, the red one? Uh, yeah. yeah, Unit 2, the red one. Yeah, you can't one. U- sell Unit 1 or 2 based on sequences from the anime, because as cool as they look, there's no- nothing to really copy and display, See? because they don't do a lot. It's way more, and again, this is why I know that you were yeah. going to like it compared to me, yeah. is it's way more of a talky, dialogue-based anime it that, deals with, that deals with philosophy, but- whereas Gundam and stuff deal with philosophy, but then throw a huge amount of action in there so that you can go, that's cool, I want to buy that as a model. The thing which about, you can't really do with Ava. The thing about the historical context behind the creation of Neon Genesis Evangelion, though, is that I don't think anybody expected it to be that successful. From what I've read, they expected it to be, like, middling, sell a few toys, make its money back and, and stuff, and, and kind of go away. Nobody was really anticipating. And as a result, they weren't sort of pushed towards the merchandise-driven stuff which they would have been if they had been like a Gundam offshoot or something. And so a lot of that is probably like a situation in which they weren't sort of expecting to have. Whereas now, obviously, like there's that challenge on YouTube where it's like live for two whole days using only stuff that is branded as Evangelion merch because there's so much merch of everything. But like at the time, at the time of pre-production, 
Like, they had just come off of doing Nadia of the Water. Specifically, they had come off of Anno recuperating from his depressive spiral post-Nadia of the Blue Water. Um, and I don't, from what I've heard, they didn't expect to be that big of a deal. They were filler anime. Anime that is expected to make its money back, but is mostly there to fill time between the money makers. Like, there's always going to be a certain amount of anime that just exists for a bit i mean even evidenced by the fact that they only got 26 was it 24 or 26 it was 26, 26 episodes. it was a half core so yeah they only got 26 episodes they didn't even get the full 52 the the reason for that is that it was essentially like a fill-in slot from what i understand so i think part of it is probably even when they had money before stuff that i'm sure we'll get into later this episode's going to be so long i'm literally thinking of all the stuff i want to say but um Key even points, be- James, key points. Even before they get to the situation where they run out of money, yeah. they didn't have that much money to begin with. Now, uh, again, I think that probably worked to its benefit, because I don't think I could have watched 52 episodes of Evangelion. I, I actually think... I honestly couldn't. I would have done Evangelion as 13 episodes. Not, not unless they spent a lot more time telling you about the interesting things in that universe, which are instead relegated to wikis. Learning about the Lilin and Lilith itself the I, angel and 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 learning more yeah. about the lcl uh, lcl which they only really give you a hint of in the end of evangelion and like you got a disembodied like ray out of nowhere yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you're in the lcl this is what all of humanity is if it's just humans like cool i like the concept but there's way more in like the art books and in and especially in supplementary material in, it's interesting and they never ever show it in the series one thing that i did note um when i was doing research after finishing um, a lot of what is considered like the backstory lore comes from a very specific japan only video game called neon genesis evangelion 2 mm. which they it was hyped up because it had the classified files but on the other hand anno's never been very clear on whether or not he had anything to do with it so a lot of evangelion lore is not necessarily of debatable canonicity but debatable as to how much it relates to the original show but i mean so i'm i'm gonna because i understand you meant to think about the philosophy of it so it's not meant to be like super close in terms of giving you all the answers but at the same time i'm a law whore that's fair and i require more law and it's all on the wikis and not in the shows and i'm like well the wikis are fun to read why is it in the show okay well ashley's just dying have you not heard that term before? I've never heard the term uh, Loho before, Loho, and that yeah. is great. So, I want to take a moment. So, I need to use that more often. I've kind of jumped... You're a Game of Thrones Loho. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls I've, I've kind of jumped in here and started doing, like, granular, nitty-gritty stuff, which I'm sure pretty expected. I expected it, but you need to keep key points just for time. I want to take a step back, and I want to talk about the series, like, overall in terms of my impressions, so that I can sort of reflect off of that. So, like I said, I have really mixed impressions. There was a lot of stuff in Evangelion that I loved and a lot of stuff in Evangelion that I really hated. And there wasn't a lot of in-between. <laughs> Are we going to be on polar opposites for love and hate on this? <laughs> I don't know. Because what it is, there's a lot of these things where there'll be individual episodes and individual scenes and individual moments and individual concepts. Where I'm like, as a thing in and of itself, I love that. Like, I love this shot. I love this scene. I love this sort of concept. I, and I love a lot of the characters as characters. Don't love them all as people, but I love them a lot, like basically all of them as characters. But it's also a show that is incredibly badly paced, has a really weak middle, which is why I'm saying that I think it should be 13 episodes. The show doesn't start until episode 17. I mean, the first five episodes are really solid. They're not incredible. They're really solid. The next few episodes are a bit weaker. There's like a whole bit in the middle 
that's weak as hell. Like up until about 18, 17, 18. 17, 18 is the build up and then reveal yeah. of the like 400% yeah. sink and then yeah. unit one yeah. eating the angel, which is literally 17, 18 was the first two episodes I saw on sci-fi at 5am when I was like 14, 13 yeah. or whatever. And so I was like, you should watch Evangelion. I'm like, where the fuck am I going to watch that? I'm like, it's on the sci-fi channel. Cool. When? It's like five in the morning. So I'm like, sure, I'm an idiot. Let's set my alarm. I'll go watch it in the morning. So I, but, yeah. I, that's the first episode. I'm just watching a giant robot eat a giant monster. Uh, I'm like, yeah. fuck yeah, I'm down. That is, and then I watch the rest of it. I'm like, where's all the fun bits? That is very <laughs> much the middle. And not even like the middle. Like the middle, like probably even more than the third. There is a lot of Evangelion, which is middling to honestly pretty bad. Like, and it's pretty much all in the middle. Like, there is a point, one of the notes that I have, I'm getting my notes up, is that they have this obsession with fitting into a particular kind of teenage giant robot trope where they have them go to school and fuck about at school. And it's not tonally dissonant in a way that does anything. There is a way to do tonal dissonance where it's kind of like, oh, they do all of these dramatic, weird, incredible, strange things. And then they have to, like, deal with being normal human beings in society. The school segments are not that. They are just annoying. And I say that as somebody who likes slice of life anime, so it's not a bias against that. Like, straight up, all the bits where it's like, why the fuck would Ray go to school? So, to be clear, Ray is like a weird clone who probably doesn't legally exist, who only lives to pilot the fucking Ava and be Gendo's weird, like, surrogate daughter, but also kind of why it's very unsettling um but then it's like but also they send her to school like no that's just there because somebody at some point was like we can have the teenagers interacting at school and it won't cost a lot because all they do is talk i mean the second impact happened i'm guessing the world is fairly different i'm guessing there's not even that many students to go and fill a school well and you know there's that bit where they talk about how people are evacuating tokyo 3 because like of the giant eva fight and like there's the kid from school whose name i can never fucking remember who punches shinji because his sister got caught in the fight um he he's like a minor character who shows up a few times and and has his major moment in episode 17 almost dying yeah Yeah. and he goes into a coma and then they forget about him but um because nobody cares about the school stuff but um but like there's this whole thing where they say people are evacuating there's hardly anyone here and then they just ignore it like in the same episode and show a full classroom they had no idea what to do with the school stuff since i've just remembered this Anybody else have a problem with the fact that the buildings on the upside down part of the geofront don't make sense? Why would you make them look Out like upside down? Out of all the things that don't make sense, every time they show the buildings, every time they show the geofront, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would the buildings look like upside down skyscrapers? Like, they're meant to like go into the geofront to like close it all off. Now so that you it, say so, it, so why do the roofs of them look like upside down roofs? You wouldn't need them to look like upside down roofs. Now They'd the- just be like flat, right? Now that you say it... And where does the roof of the building go when it becomes back to... They don't flip the building, it's just lowered. So why does it have a roof for its bottom? Hey, Briggy, remember how you told me to stick to the important points? I feel like that is an important point. Why is no <laughs> asking about the geofront? Okay. The geofront's such a major plot point in, in this entire show, so, and they never fully explain how the fuck it works. They're just like, but it's really important. It's the black moon in the end of Evangelion, and like, it's really important to the LCN and the human whatever... Instrumentality, instrumentality project. That's it, yeah. The human instrumentality project. It's a huge plot point to all of that, but they never tell us outside of the wiki, and even in the wiki it doesn't mention why the building's like that. 
no one ever fucking explains it other than, other than like, yeah, look, it's a geofront. And we're like, it's the what? Briggy. <laughs> it's because it looked cool. Moving on. <laughs> I just hate that about it. I'm like, you've got all this amazing lore. There's so much you could tell us about the geofront if it's going to be such a major plot point. They just don't. Briggy, they made all that lore up after the fact. Clearly. <laughs> I, I, I can assure you, so much about Evangelion changed in the process of making the show. I guess that's my point. The lore that- all came after. And again... A lot of the extended law probably they wasn't. They just sat anime. on this really cool concept that they didn't anyway. do anything with, which is a lot of Evangelion. Apart from the main themes that they knew they wanted to get, what well, Anna wanted to get across in it, everything that's not like you were saying with the school, everything that's not part of those main themes. There's great setup clumsy. for all these cool things that are never a utilized. Lot, a lot of Evangelion is brilliant ideas and clumsy execution. And, like, I do really, I'm really glad that I've watched it. And there are individual, like, in particular. There's even just like little moments in the show, like one shot that I just think are phenomenal. I I know it's stupid, but that's why I, I think I feel like the geofront buildings and that question like epitomizes that feeling of things time, that just don't get used properly. This in that is show. where we have different approaches to watching shows because it's not so much that I was annoyed that it was logically inconsistent or that there wasn't detailed lore. It's that if if it. It's a show that hangs on thematic stuff as opposed to being logically consistent. Well, I mean, that's, but, that's the one Briggy, thing. Briggy. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, the trouble is, it's also not that thematically consistent. So, for example, like uh, the standard Briggy-James discussion goes, Briggy starts talking about technical stuff not making perfect sense. And I start saying, oh, but it makes thematic sense. Don't interrupt me because I'm going <laughs> to agree with you in a minute. But here's the thing. That only works for me if it's thematically consistent, right? And the thing is that Evangelion isn't actually very thematically consistent. It has some individual great sets of themes, but it doesn't hang together very well. And the trouble is, I can't ignore the logical inconsistencies if there isn't something to make up for it. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. It's not specifically yeah. that the Geofront doesn't make I'm sense. I'm agreeing with you. It's that that feeling yes. of the Geofront not making sense isn't permeates justified. the entire show up yes. and down, not just for the logical inconsistencies, but for some of the thematic inconsistencies. A like, lot of the it, thematic. Even ideas that Anno, I think, wanted to get across as a whole that he was certain about, it feels like, when he was writing, don't make sense in the show in places. And so the whole thing just feels like a tangled mess of, it is. of, of threads that it's, never really do anything. I d- it just occurred Welcome to me. Welcome to Evangelion. <laughs> Is, so, that not, is, is that not a perfect explanation of this a, entire fucking show? And, and uh, to be clear, I can't believe no. it. It turns out that we agree on this. Right. Because, like, I absolutely agree. There's a lot of stuff. And I think this is one of the reasons why Anno has consistently gone back to Eva. Because he he probably knows this. And, like, Evangelion was under a lot of production constraints. Anno's health deteri- mental health deteriorated over the course of making it. And, and, like, to a certain extent, it had, like, all these practical boundaries that came up like it's not the perfect version that you wanted to make and neither is e- end of evangelion end of evangelion is I, kind I of just a wanted to point that out so the people that go back and listen to this don't just think i'm hung up on the geofront no, itself no. but that that is an example of all it's, the things wrong i would like show. to clarify though that you are hung up <laughs> <laughs> it's one of it's, many things yeah but that, that that feeling that i get from seeing that is consistent through, it's the only thing consistent about evangelion is my feeling on things like that that keep cropping up i'm like yeah it, it this is, is this is a bit off it is a consistent i think a bit <laughs> off is a lot of this. i'm being polite yeah i think a bit off is actually it's it's almost uncanny having watched it all those years ago and then going back to it now um i remembered huge like key points to it that surprised me that they didn't show up sooner or were bigger in the show even though so karu karu literally he's in one Kauru. episode and he's one of the most important bearing characters. in mind in like the manga 
in the Rebirth movies, like I have done my research, he is a major character yeah. in every other version. And like his relationship with Shinji is a very big deal in all of these other versions. He has 13 minutes of screen time in one episode. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 15 years between viewings yeah. and thinking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, Karu's a big part of this. And then finally I might watch it. He's like, not. It's, it's not even a thing. And like, it's very effective. So... And he's still, after viewing it this time, like, he's still so important to the plot. He he's is. He's literally 13 minutes of screen he time. He is the catalyst that changes the direction of the entire show. He is the reason that we get the weird-ass fucking ending, basically. But I was directing you towards Karu, because I want to talk to you... Oh, uh, we're talking about the fucking translation. The translation, yeah, because I'm looking at how much time we've got. I, said, I would be remiss to point out, because everyone else on the internet has fucking talked about this, in that the original um, dub, and in some of the translations and that were And in served, the original Japanese, basically. Was it, yeah, okay. Well, it's it, well. Then again, the Japanese the argument. Is I am that, about it, to explain yeah. to you in linguistic terms, but why the original dub was correct. And I'll give you my take on it before you explain that, because this is what I felt about it. The original English and then the new English by Netflix. The line is because I love you, mm-hmm. and now the line is because I like you. And lots don't of forget people, worthy of your grace. Lot, Very cringeworthy. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the the love and like change. People have been up in arms about that change, about how bad it is and how it misrepresents their relationship. What I think is. So, actually an improvement because it's such, it's a level down. Like, they go from love to like, so it's not as important. The trouble but is... it shows it's... how desperate for any sort of attention that Shinji is because he goes... He has that same reaction he had from the love in mm-hmm. the original dub. To the like. To having yeah. like. So it's like, it's See, such a level down that he'll go mad over even the smallest the, amount of affection. I think it works better for his character the than The trouble is, it's... I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that after having actually done... And I have a lot of issues with the translation. It's overly literal. The Netflix translation, I will go out and eliminate, is not a good translation. Like, having done some research into it, having looked up stuff relating to the original... I don't, I'm not necessarily saying that the original translation was amazing, but the new translation is... It's, 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 it's a translation and not a localization, and that's a problem. There are two things that I have an issue with. With Karu, and not specifically just that line, but with the whole episode and the episode that comes after episode 24, the first of the weird episodes. So, number one, it gets rid of the ambiguity. So, this is the opposite argument that a lot of defenders of the change have made. A lot of defenders of the change from love to like have said that the original Japanese is supposed to be ambiguous, and therefore, by making it like instead of love, they're more accurately representing the ambiguity. I would say like is fairly unambiguous and love is very ambiguous. So I think that the ambiguity of the original line is very, very potent because you can have loved ones without it being in any way romantic. You can have loved ones in a way that isn't even necessarily healthy. And that line is kind of like Shinji projecting onto Karu that he wants it to be something very intense, but it could not necessarily be that. Whereas like is something which in English, is not an ambiguous term. The other thing that I would say is that there's a line later on where originally Shinji says he was the first person um, where he talks about people that you love in terms of what you would do for your loved ones. The new dub changes this to what you would do for people that you like, which makes it fairly clear to me because that is not a natural thing to say in English and it is not a meaningful line, that this is probably somebody who was very uncomfortable with the idea of even using love in a non-romantic context. Because I absolutely agree, the original line in terms of love is deliberately ambiguous. Its power comes from its ambiguity. Like, I don't think it's unambiguously romantic. 
But for somebody to be like, what would you do for the people you like? I'm like, nobody says that. Nobody says that. To go out of your way to the point where you won't use the perfectly generic and not at all romantic term, loved ones. And I also want to be clear, if this was the only issue that I had with the translation, I'd consider it a one-off. But I have loads of other issues with the translation that feel very pointed, such as there's um, some stuff in the last couple of episodes um, with regards to the language that Shinji uses to ask her, which misrepresents platonic Japanese as being romantic in a way that's very annoying and undercuts a couple of major scenes. There's also a weird situation (laughs) where the word leftist gets inserted. I think that the dude who wrote this translation is just a fucking (laughs) H-chan. Because there's all sorts of weird shit. But also, like, again, it's, it's, I want to be very clear because I think a lot of people have assumed that backlash against this is exclusively a sense of, oh, well, you just don't want to admit that it's ambiguous. I think that the word love is way more ambiguous than like. I think that one, not the follow up, but like, I agree with you on the follow up, like the love mm-hmm. ones thing, that makes more sense. But having dialed down the affection level, I think that that's it, fair. I think it makes him a more tragic character, and I like that change. I, I like that, but I think that I there's. I love a, that change. I like that change. I, I do think that there is a way to do that. I think that there is a way to do the voice performance so that it sounds as though Karu might just kind of be being like, yeah, like, I love you like a friend. And Shinji is latching onto it very hard. But on the other hand, after having done some more research, I do want to point out that it is much more explicitly in other forms of contemporary media at the time, like the manga, treated as unambiguously, not necessarily romantic, like sexual. Like, it's actually kind of unnerving. Like, one thing I want to point out is, like, in terms of, like, oh, they got rid of the gay representation. Like, it's not positive gay representation. It's kind of predatory. And then Shinji beheads him. I have no problem with that, but it's not like happy. I mean, it's not really a you know. It's, it's not really gay representation exactly. to begin with because he's not human. Exactly, it's it's complicated, and I like <laughs> yeah, that it's very. complicated. He's but an that's angel, which is not a good thing I, in this universe. I think that the new translation actually, in a lot of ways, gets rid of a lot of that complexity because if you present it as being like a situation where Shinji's got like romantic feelings for Karu, and then Karu's like this eldritch abomination. That's way more morally complicated <laughs> than if he's just like, I made a friend. Oh, shit, I have to kill the friend. Like, that's more. Like, in a lot of ways, it's more, quote, unquote, problematic. Like, I'm basically arguing for the problematic interpretation here because it's presenting, like, queer desire as something that is inhuman and, like, destructive. Like, in a lot of ways, it would probably be, like, less under-the-radar homophobic if it wasn't, like, perceived by the audience as gay. But I'm also like, oh, but like, it's super interesting. And I think one of the things that really strikes me is we've had like this long discussion about this one element. Karu gets 13 minutes of screen time. Like, he's barely there. And I find that fascinating because he has such an outsized influence. I'd also like to point out that because a large swathe of this series has nothing going on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, again, the middle third is just a dunce. It did just it. Everything nothing. from episode three to seventeen can be fine. No, actually eight because Asuka gets introduced in eight, and that's a good episode. No, they could cut that into like a three-minute bit. Like they did. Oh, they a- could. A- but they held it better with her showing up and <laughs> overdubbing it with Arnie's moment from Terminator Two. Like, Your claws, <laughs> gives them to me. That's all you need Asuka to do, and then show up like, oh, she's here now. 
Well, one of the things that... I guess the DDR moment they have going on is kind of important to I mean, both their storylines. That could have been like a subplot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, it could have been much shorter. It didn't need... Well, yeah, it could have been the C plot in another episode. Also, the backflip in Mecha is just cheap animation and gets looped. It's like, oh, oh, you could have done so many things with this, and you did that. Again, they had, like, no fucking money. I know, money. I know. So you guys, like, because I know that we're going to run out of time eventually. Uh, Paul, uh, thoughts on Evangelion? Um, yeah, do you have so, things you want to say about it? Yeah, what I was going to say is, is I rewatched the original dub, and the major issue I have Hi, with the new dub is that all of the people, in, in both dubs... All of the people are horrible. All of the people don't deserve to be saved. They should have all died. Um, but no, the, what's the name? The one that's got the hot. They're like the fucking children. Shut up. No, they they are all in in all different ways. They are products of their upbringing. Fair enough. The last that makes lunch for what's his name. She she deserves to live. She's okay. No, she can die. She hasn't done anything. Which wrong. one is that? The one that's making lunch for the pilot. That what color hair does she have? Brown. Yeah, yeah. Is she one of the generic background? The class actually? representative. Yeah, oh class yeah. yeah. Oh, she's nice. Yeah, she 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 can live. No, she's done nothing. I wrong don't with want to kill nice. children. I want the children to get therapy. We've established this. I don't I don't want to kill them. I'm just saying they could all die. None of them <laughs> brings to the somebody table. else could kill them for me. Yeah. I might give them some and money. Horror. Uh, well, Gendo. <laughs> oh, Gendo can definitely die. Yeah, he can kill the children <laughs> and then die. If you put enough of them into a, like a sausage machine, do you end up getting out? So like an entry super, plug, yeah, an entry plug, a, 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 a super machine. I mean, if um, he puts them all in, does eventually get his wife back? That's all he wants. Really. It's equivalent exchange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. god. Okay, galaxy brain moment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the point is, is that in the original dub, they are proactively unlikable and in the the new the new Netflix dub they are simply through association unlikable they're but much you're the, right because the original dub is just spawn memes thanks to Spike Spencer's portrayal of Shinji like that's why everyone knows the joke right. like, getting them getting the getting fucking, the fucking Shinji. yeah yeah, yeah. But but, that's that's because of that dub, and, and, and that's what they knew they were getting we, into, I suppose. And we discussed this before we started yeah. the podcast, but, like, I... So, for context, I... For various reasons, I normally watch subs when I watch anime, just because I enjoy that, but I watched the dub, the new Netflix dub, which is a totally new cast, and the new Netflix dub portrays the children a lot more like the original Japanese version did, in that they sound like children, whereas the original dub makes the 14 year olds i think i said that they sounded like they were 17 not necessarily fully grown adults but definitely older so the original dub kind of makes everybody sound like an asshole because you definitely are kind of like by 17 you should probably be getting your shit together whereas the new dub it's kind of like oh god you are like an infant like shinji's voice has not broken in the new dub yeah. like it like he is voiced by a woman and his voice has not broken <laughs> Yeah, and he is, in terms of the new dub, he is definitely more sympathetic. And I think one of the things that's, which is hard to retcon is that in the new dub, I was saying um, before the the recording, that he essentially is a a reluctant hero. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to do any of this. He is what I would call a classical anti-hero, in that he's not an anti-hero because he's quote-unquote villainous, but a hero, but in the sense that like he doesn't have traditional heroic traits. Yeah. Um, and he he then goes on to to go through all of the uh, the trials and tribulations as he does, and comes at the end not a better person for it. 
It's because everything is horrible and that's life and war and, and this is the point of the anime is... is Well, I would say... Oh, sorry. I did, some, I did some math for you based on the voice. So Spike Spencer, when he voiced Shinji, would have been either 27 or 28. Oh, God, he, he sounds it. <laughs> yeah. He, he sound, like, his balls have dropped and Shinji's haven't and we can tell. But one thing that I would say is I would disagree with the conclusion of... So just for anybody listening at home... I have not yet watched End of Evangelion because I fucking binged Evangelion and I wasn't emotionally ready. It's better. Yeah. But episodes 25 and 26 season end are way better. And according the, to the wikis, is actually closer in concept to what they wanted to do. But I do know, you didn't let me finish, I do know a lot both about the history of End of Evangelion, the production process, and also the content because I've, I've read like ac- literal academic essays on it for things anyway uh we're not here to discuss what a terrible nerd i am but one of the things that i really really disagree with you in terms of the original ending of the show specifically is i would not say that the end of the show is about not having changed i'd say it's about the fact that so the last two episodes and it's completely unavoidable more than anything in the show they're not about plot and they're not about human instrumentality and they're not about any of that shit they are just an abstract representation of Anna being like I really just want to talk about my fucking depression for like 40 minutes like they are very speaking as somebody who has dealt with chronic depression my entire life since I was a child they are very explicitly about depression and like in a very abstract way so the ending is about basically what pretty much anybody who's gone to counselling for depression will be told, which is that the first step of recovery is not feeling better. It is acknowledging a point at which in the future you might hypothetically feel better. So the end of the original TV series is Shinji being like, well, I haven't learned to love myself and I haven't learned to be a better person, but I believe that it is possible for me to learn that And so I can at least try. And that is like the upbeat version of the Evangelion ending to date. We'll see how Rebuild of Evangelion, the movie series that's remaking it, goes. But this is the most upbeat version of the ending outside of like literal high school AUs. So I would not say that it is depressing. I'd say that it's very uplifting compared to what I've seen and know of the end of Evangelion ending, which is very explicitly Shinji rejecting that concept. It is Shinji saying that he wants people... So in in the TV show ending... Shinji implicitly suggests that he wants people to come back because he believes that it is possible for him to be a better person and so he doesn't want to be alone anymore. From what I understand of the end of Evangelion ending, it's that he wants people to come back essentially because he doesn't want to suffer on his own. He doesn't come to a realisation that he could potentially be a better person even if he isn't a good person now and so he wants to try. He essentially just says... I can't do this on my own. I'm suffering and I want other people to come back because I don't want to suffer alone. I didn't get that because the way you just described the TV show ending for a second, I thought you were talking about End of Evangelion, which is what I got from End of Evangelion. The Evangelion original ending for episode 26 specifically, like they're interesting episodes to watch. I enjoyed them up until the last three minutes of episode 26 originally. Congratulations. Which, which is bullshit, yeah. <laughs> That moment where he changes and it's a complete 180 just feels like an absolute fucking cop-out and I know should be ashamed of that. The thing is... I feel like he might be since he did End of Evangelion. It can be done better. And episodes 25 and 26 in the end of, given a higher budget, yeah, there's a bit more action in there. But the actual Shinji within the LCL and having those thoughts and feelings and not being done like in such cheap animation, but the same concepts have gone over, feels like it's not the same 180 where suddenly it's like, I can be better, congratulations, but more of like... 
I understand now that I shouldn't be alone and I'll try. And you're like, that is a far better way of coming out of the that. The only problem with that is that if that's the case, why does he still try and strangle Oscar? The other thing is that, from what I understand, and again, if I want to... If he's trying to be a better does, person, does, why does, does, does that he happen, do the Does that happen after the big yes, end of Evangelion? it does. It's the very end. And yeah. then, because she says disgusting. That's the famous thing oh, where yeah. the voice actress oh, ad-libbed yeah. it. Because she's a bitch. <laughs> no, because... No, we're talking about... To be very clear, the other thing... Strangling. I, the other oh, thing... Yeah, that's the, why he strangles her, because she's a bitch. No. He's not perfect. The other thing I want to point out is that, from what I understand of the content in End of Evangelion, I mean, Shinji crosses the line way farther when he essentially sexually assaults Asuka when she's in a coma. Oh yeah, he does jerk off to her at the very beginning of that. That is, I forgot that, that happened. Really yeah. out of character. That's why she says. Though. To be very clear, the voice actress was like asked by Anna, "What would you say if somebody did this?" And the line, "disgusting," it's Asuka's reaction to that. She knows. Yeah. That he oh, has no, I, sexually I, like, assaulted her. I didn't her. forget in, since watching it recently, but yeah. I mean, between watching it, they read it the first time and coming no, back no, no. opening up the end of Evangelion and watching it, it's like, oh yeah, that fucking happens immediately in but, this. But like, to be clear, Anno has been fairly clear, like the reason that Shinji basically attempts to strangle Asuka is his guilt over having essentially raped her. So to be clear, he doesn't strangle her because she's a bitch. He strangles her because he's in that particular instance struggling to deal with being a terrible person and and i don't feel like again i haven't watched it huge disclaimer i might be totally wrong but that doesn't sound like something that has the same kind of conclusion as the tv no, on, show on a serious level at no point am i ever actually defending oh Shinji. no I, I absolutely understand that <laughs> like, like, i was just all of his actions are garbage in this entire franchise to be he's clear, a bad person to be clear I'm, I'm i'm just bringing it back around to like the actual i i was not suggesting that you were but that's, I, why, that's why gendo left listen him. honey Oh, he was four. I don't care if that baby gives you bad vibes. You still look after that fucking baby. If they just left Hitler alone at four. <laughs> wow. I'm not saying Shinji is Hitler, but if Hitler had a giant robot, he'd probably do the same thing. Okay, well, now we've just gotten into fucking Godwin territory. Okay. But bringing it back around to something that resembles sane, like, uh, to bring it back around to the actual TV show... Watching the last couple of episodes, which, of course, are, like, really famously very abstract and impressionist because they literally ran out of money, which isn't for the reason that I think a lot of people often think that they did. It's because they had to can a bunch of episodes that had already been animated after the sarin gas attack in Tokyo. I'm, I'm sure people here are likely to know that, but a lot of people have this misconception that they just ran out of money randomly because they misbudgeted. It, it wasn't the case. They, they animated their expected ending and then they had to can a bunch of episodes because they use apocalyptic Christian imagery and then an apocalyptic Christian Japanese cult murdered a bunch of people and it was very... It was a big deal. So they ran out of money, and I think that they did a lot with the very limited budget they have. The high school AU section is very funny. Um, and also the stuff where, like, Gendo draws, like, a, a ink outline of a flying Shinji in, like, a white void, like a literal floor, and, like, it's, it's clever. They, they didn't have a lot to work with, and they did what they could. But with regards to the, like, very minimalist ending, it really struck me when watching it, and I wasn't expecting to have such a strong reaction to it, like, how incredibly accurate it felt to the experience of the first step of recovery from depression. And, and I feel like it probably helps that I knew I knew in advance that, like, Anno was very explicitly dealing with the first steps of his own recovery from very, very severe depression. But, like... All of the stuff that they talk about in terms of um, 
recognizing yourself in relation to other people, which tangent that is like from a specific philosophical reference. Briggy is just looking at me like, oh fuck, now James has started. Well, I was also thinking like, yeah, you might want to. We were at the last episode, point. Yeah. so we're wrapping it up. But no, I, I think it's a good part to like leave on. Like, so there's a bit in the final episode um, where there's an extended discussion between Shinji and various characters in terms of how people, and especially Shinji, can only see themselves as individuals in relation and in contrast to other people. So that that comes from a Hegelian uh, philosophical idea, very famous. He wrote a book called, I can't even remember what it's called. I think it might even just be called The Other. He wrote like a philosophical treatise about how people fear anything that they consider other from themselves, but can also only recognize themselves as people if they have that fear, which absolute terror fields. Hegel was like an influence on um, Evangelium. Um, And like the idea that you can't just run away from that and the idea that you have to sort of accept that fear as a part of everyday life and the steps that Shinji makes, it's, it's something that I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is like a piece of writing for all its flaws that I think is incredibly personal and I think is incredibly relatable and I think is incredibly meaningful not because it's incredibly quote-unquote deep but just because it's very truthful it's like it was very truthful to my own personal experience and so for all of the things that I can absolutely criticize Ava for and I'm gonna be honest with the runtime that we had I could have gone on for three fucking hours talking about this series but I will say that the ultimate end impression that I got from the series from finishing with that final episode was very much just at the end of it all for all its incredibly numerous flaws and its problems and its pacing issues and that fucking middle third oh my god like it ended on a note that I found both uplifting and also genuinely very it represented something not in like a kind of cheesy way but like in a way that just I've never really seen in another piece of media. And so for me, that that last episode kind of like, the whole series was always going to be worth it for that last episode. Also, you guys have seen the original dub. So was the congrats bro in the original dub? Because that was out of place. I thought they all said congratulations. I can't remember. Can you? Um, it's not congrats bro. Yeah, okay. there's a so everybody knows the iconic ending scene where everybody goes congratulations while clapping. Yeah. So they randomly change it in the new Netflix dub so that like the jock high school character instead of saying congratulations just randomly goes congrats, bro, and it's very funny. Okay, so final thoughts from everyone on Evangelion in general. Paul, what are your thoughts? Um, wrap up. When I first saw it a long time ago, when I was much younger. I think it made a lot more of an impact on me, and now that I've watched it back, I don't really like it. I think the major issue I have is, is there's a lot of that have come out since, mm-hmm. or a lot of stuff that has come out before it that wasn't as like accessible that is now, which basically, when you put it into a greater context, whilst it does do some interesting things, it's not deep enough so that you can feel it's got a real impact mm-hmm. in terms of the depth. But it's not entertaining enough to be a, like a, a form of entertainment. It's sort of it. It tries hard to sort of. It's do very buttons. two things clashing in the middle and never quite getting anywhere. Yeah, there's a real like disjointedness about the whole approach. I, see, I was going to save my final thoughts for last, but since you've said that, I need to like tag on to yours in that when it comes to Evangelion, having watched it for the first time again in fourteen, fifteen years, I've come to the conclusion that. 
it's not good. Yeah. And I don't I wouldn't recommend it to people. In so many ways, it tries to do things and doesn't do them as well as not just things that have come after it, but things that have come before it. Yeah. As a robot show, as a deconstruction of giant robots, it's not as good as things like Evangelion. Not Evangelion. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my brain is broken. It's not as good as things like Gurren Lagan that came after it, which only passed each of a different which subgenre. Which is by Gainax. But yeah, but it's you know that hits its mark in being that specific thing. It's not as good at dealing with you know, PTSD and having philosophical thoughts. Like, it's never going to be as good as something that deals with the self like Ghost in the Shell is. It's never going to quite hit the same emotional mm-hmm. highs and lows that so many anime before and after. I mean, I know I keep going to Gundam because it's like my wheelhouse, but there are shows is within... It really? The, it is. <laughs> there are things within just the gun Before you even go outside into not, not, not Mecha or not even Gundam, within the Gundam universe, there have been things that have dealt with elements in Evangelion, both before and after Evangelion came out, that have done elements of it better, that have had time to focus on that idea it wants to get across. I feel like Evangelion strives to do too much and thus does none of it well. Yeah. Yeah. I think for all that there are a lot of individual episodes of individual scenes and stuff, I I do agree with that. Ashley? What's your final thoughts on Evangelion? I'm going to keep this very short. Okay. So at the age of... About the same age as... When you first watched it, 15, 16, yeah. that kind of age. I watched the first two episodes, got bored, and then watched the end of. It made more sense then than it does now. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's legit and you're valid. So my, I, I gave a bit of my final thoughts already, kind of. But like I, there's a, as somebody who had, who had read a lot about it, who knew a lot about it and like knew a lot about it going in, but who kind of watched it for the first time all the way through recently. There's a lot of stuff that I appreciate. Uh, there's a lot of like artistry especially in some of the earlier episodes when they have money but also like in the last two episodes in terms of what they did when they didn't have money that I really appreciate I think there's a lot of stuff that's come after that might be better but that wouldn't exist if Evangelion hadn't not just existed but had been popular and there's a lot of like individual episodes and scenes and dynamics that I really really like that will stick with me but I don't think as a whole show that it's coherent Mm. it is a proof of concept in a lot of ways and that's understandable given the context in which it was made and i think like i said earlier one of the reasons why things like rebuild of evangelion exist is that it's a more experienced director who's in a more stable place saying i need to do this again because the first time i we just couldn't do it Mm. i'm glad that i watched it i'll probably rewatch a few episodes sometimes i don't think i'll ever watch the whole series again like it is not something i appreciate as a series it is something where I will take the bits that I liked and then move on to something else. Yeah. I would say, I mean, we'll end the episode with this, but as far as recommendations go outside of Evangelion, if anything in Evangelion made you think that the concepts were fun and interesting and worth exploring, but I wouldn't, I don't think any of us really would sit and recommend Evangelion to anybody. Mm-hmm. Those similar themes you can find, and I'm just going to run off quickly, like, you can watch, um, within the Gundam universe, there's War in the Pocket and Thunderbolt, which both have very different, but take bits of themes that you'd expect in Evangelion in terms of, like, war is bad, dealing with PTSD, mm-hmm. um, dealing... <laughs> I mean, Thunderbolt in itself is just fucking insane and worth watching just because it does a lot of these ideas, but better. Um, Gao Gaigar in itself is a great, as, along with Gurren Lagann, is a great like breakdown of, yeah. of, of, of the robot genre. Gurren and if you Lagan, want that in itself, that's a fun way of doing it. Gurren Lagann is like 
thematically and tonally the opposite, but it also is a more effective deconstruction. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Gal Gygar is similar in that it knows what it wants to do as a deconstruction and just aims fucking straight on and goes for it. So that's fun in that way. And then you've got Ghost in the Shell to deal with the, like, your hard-hitting sci-fi. Yes. Um, watch Ghost in the Shell, it's amazing. Definitely watch Ghost in the Shell. But there's... there's Whole um, no, there's a whole manner of like fucking like just pick a fucking Ghibli movie at this point and you can deal with issues of the self and, in a much more direct and specific way that gives its time to that one and, issue rather than if you took every Ghibli movie and its themes and went we'll fit them into well, one fucking series one, and then it doesn't I've work got very well. Two more things to say before we wrap up. One thing that I wanted to say is something that I didn't really get around to mentioning. So the the Evas are pretty clearly at least partially inspired by the robots in Castle in the Sky, which is a Ghibli movie. Exactly. And also <laughs> the angels feel as though a couple of them are actually fairly heavily inspired by the um giant ones in uh Nausicaa. Yes. The giant warriors. So it bears mentioning you can literally go to Ghibli movies for some of this stuff. But the other thing I wanted to say is in terms of recommendations I'd give if you're looking for stuff that isn't necessarily, I want a deconstruction of mecha anime or I want to watch a mecha anime that deals with these themes, but is instead, I kind of want what Evangelion has always been sold to me as, is this very deep philosophical anime. And as we've established, we don't feel that it really delivers on that, at least in its original form. So one thing I would recommend in terms of like, a 90s cyberpunk sci-fi anime that is incredibly weird and surreal and cerebral, just watch Serial Experiments Lane. It doesn't mm-hmm. have giant robots, but Briggy was waiting for me because he saw my Twitter. But, like, literally... I was going to bring it up and you I'm like, say it! I'm sorry. <laughs> but literally, like, I was saying on Twitter after watching the Genesis Evangelion and thinking about how it's hyped up as, like, the philosophical, weird, out-there 90s anime that's incredibly surreal and strange... All watching Neon Genesis Evangelion did was make me want to rewatch. Yes. So the other thing is, so Neon Genesis Evangelion has heard of famous philosophers. Serial Experiments Lane expects you to have read niche philosophers. Like, it's way more impressive intellectually, frankly. You the, don't have to, because I enjoyed it without having read it. Oh, you that. don't have to, but and yeah. that's one of the things that's wonderful about it. But, like, if you've read a lot of niche French philosophy... See- your benefit. But um, the other one that I'd say is that if you want a deconstruction of a traditionally kind of like shoujo or shonen thing that's like tropey, just watch, we've already talked about this, watch um, Revolutionary Go Yutena. Honestly, like it does the same thing for shoujo, except it does it more effectively and with way more style. And it's entertaining. Right. <laughs> I think we can wrap it up there then. If, yeah. you, if you enjoy this podcast, or if you've ever watched Evangelion, then clearly you need to either go watch anything in the Gundam universe that isn't G Gundam if you want to deal with the sort of things that Evangelion does, or you should just watch Lane, or oh, sorry, Serial yeah. Experiments Lane, which is Evangelion, but... Good. Good. And and, <laughs> and also, it, it has ev- less weird fan service. Evangelion's not a mecha show to begin with, now that we've pointed out the fact that they're not actually robots, so Lane is still better and in the same genre. Yeah. yeah. And also, it, it's got a really good theme song, too. It's weird that we can do such a long time about a show that we actually don't like as a collective, but hey, we did it, and we got that at the other end. We're here, yeah. and we're giving you a hot yeah. take. So that's the end of the episode. Uh, congratulations, everybody. Congratulations. Congratulations. Congrats, bro. <laughs> So that's been this episode of Geeks Codex. Hopefully we'll return in uh, another two weeks' time with another episode of something we can all agree on being good. I don't know. We'll find out. So I guess we should all just watch Serial Experiments Lane. <laughs> maybe. Let's see what comes up in the next couple of episodes. Anyway, I've been joined by editor extraordinaire Paul Stevens. Um, thanks. <laughs> been joined by the uh, two A5 pages of notes, James Cook. I, I, I don't even know what to say. My voice is giving out after all that yelling. <laughs> And also joined for 
X amount of times. <laughs> Clearly never leaving, so we'll have to come up with a much better outro for Ashley Pearson. <laughs> the mech was unplugged a long time ago. <laughs> oh, bless you. And I've been your host, Matthew Briggs, and I will definitely get in the mech right now. See you next episode.